0: Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Medical Liability Minute. It's a podcast where we summarize modern medical legal threats to doctors in 15 minutes or less. The goal is to allow you to continue practicing great medicine with peace of mind. And I'm your host, Dr. Jeff Siegel, founder and CEO of Medical and Dental Justice, an organization dedicated to protecting physicians from frivolous lawsuits, internet libel, unwarranted demands for refunds, and a gazillion other medical legal threats. I'm joined today by my co-host, Mike Sikopoulos, who serves as our organization's general counsel. This is a plastic surgeon who was a sole defendant in a case that lasted about two years after, a, uh, after the surgeon performed an abdominoplasty or a tummy tuck on her maid of honor and her so-called best friend. So the allegations for professional liability ran about a page and a half and including included everything under the sun from chronic pain, chronic numbness, scarring, loss of consortium. And although there was pretty good documentation of appropriate informed consent, including two separate consultations, the patient was still determined to to sue. Fortunately, she had an excellent cosmetic outcome and no lawyer in the state would take her case. So you would think that would be the end of it, but no, it turned out her husband was an FBI attorney and filed suit in another state. I have no idea how that took place, but the facts keep going. Because the patient and the surgeon were both former belly dancers, this led to national headlines. The headline was belly dancer, Sue's, <laughs> Sue's belly dancer. You really can't make this stuff up. And offers to appear on the Sharon Osbourne uh, show. So this was dragged out for about four years and the surgeon's insurance company offered the husband lawyer $10,000 to go away uh, over the surgeon's objections, but still the carrier paid. So that's the the long and the short of it. Mike, do you want to jump in and have some opening words about the belly dancer, Sue's Belly Dancer?
1: Wow, where to begin? Um, Dr. Siegel, I fully recognize that I am not a voting member of the most frivolous uh, lawsuit um, select committee, but I got to say, if I, if, if I was on that committee, this one would have my, uh, this one would have my undying support. Um, It has belly dancers, Sharon Osbourne, and let's just stop for a moment. Should this have appeared on the Sharon Osbourne, uh, the physician would have been safe because clearly there's not much of an audience there to actually have viewed it. So look we 've got this being propelled by a spouse, and maybe that 's where we should we should start to to talk about things because so oftentimes um, the physicians are focused on the the patient, and it is really the spouse or family members that help instigate or propel a, a medical malpractice claim you 've seen that before, have you not
0: definitely have where the patient is actually happy and then the family member shows up and is throwing gasoline um, and lighting matches where, and then the patient is, is stuck in a bind because they probably like the care that's being rendered. They have a personal relationship. And then the family member is creating waves. We also see this in a somewhat different situation, but still related to a family member where um, mom, for example, has had a, um, a horrible event, where for example had a bleed into the brain and um, the local family knows precisely what mom's wishes um, are meaning let's just make mom comfortable and then the the relative who, who has lived who who has spent a decade living on the opposite coast and has never even picked up the phone to say hello or happy birthday or happy thanksgiving shows up 10 years later to say oh, no, no, I know exactly what mom wants. She wants everything done for her. And these typically do resolve, but it often takes days, sometimes weeks, to get to a consensus, the theme being a family member uh, getting in the way of um, allowing the best care to be provided for the individual. So, absolutely. So,
1: I've seen repeatedly where a family member or a close friend, maybe a next-door neighbor, is an attorney, but does not specialize in health care law or personal injury or, or medical malpractice claims, um, and thinks that they are being being helpful, but really leads uh, the the plaintiff down, down the wrong path, maybe with best intentions. Um, but certainly, medical justice has had a number of cases over the years where an attorney is doing what he or she, she thinks is a favor uh, to someone by bringing a claim. And so our listeners should be warned that that is a, that is a dangerous situation, uh, and they should be on the, the, the lookout for that. Beyond that, there are some interesting studies out there that talk about what is the profile of someone that brings a claim against his or her physician. And these studies seem to show that the more educated someone is, the more likely they are to bring a claim. Uh, If they live in an urban environment, that's more likely than a rural environment. Um, And certainly their interaction with with attorneys, uh, to the extent that they are more familiar or less familiar with attorneys, has bearing upon uh, whether or not they they bring uh, claims. I mention all of this because I think it's helpful as you're practicing uh, to keep these things in mind and maybe spend a little bit of extra time with a family member trying to um, trying to defuse a situation. Is that Mike, yeah, right? Mike,
0: well, why don't we try to dispel a myth also? Because as I was uh, in my training and also in the early years of my practice, I had been led to believe without a lot of data to support it that if a patient... Um, is funded through medicaid that is if they're indigent they were much more likely to sue and that became the argument to minimize the number of medicaid patients in your practice above and beyond the remuneration and in point of fact if the level of education correlates with or positively with frequency of litigation then it is more likely that a um, someone with good insurance and someone who is higher up the socioeconomic class is more likely to sue compared to someone who has Medicaid funding. Is that what, um, what the data that you just referenced supports?
1: Uh, that's exactly right. Yes, you're, um, you're, you're spot on. So that um, Medicaid uh, patient that lives in a rural uh, setting and Uh, does not have the equivalent of a high school diploma is far, far less likely uh, to sue you than um, than the patient that is paying for elective uh, care and whose husband is, in this situation, a former FBI attorney.
0: Let's um, segue a little bit and talk about the one thing that um, really irritated the plastic surgeon in this case, namely that she didn't want to pay a penny uh, to anyone because she believes she did an appropriate job, and even $10,000 to make the uh, the husband attorney go away was $9,999 more than she wanted uh, to do. Um, but it is true that um, at for most insurance um, policies in the United States, with some significant exceptions, uh, perhaps in Florida, the doctor is in the driver's seat, meaning that they have to provide consent to settle a case. So even if the carrier said we're going to give $10,000 to make it go away for many policies, if, if the policy language stated that the doctor must provide the consent, the plastic surgeon would have prevailed in this particular case, meaning that it would have dragged out for a period of time. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that is correct, absolutely.
0: So it probably does make sense to dust off your policy and just confirm one way or another to make sure that your policy is a consent to settle. Because if it's not, you are not in the driver's seat and you pretty much will have to do what your carrier tells you to do. Now the thing that um, also drives position crazy is that if they are forced to settle uh, against their will um, and the carrier makes a payment, that will trigger a line item in the data bank, is that correct, Mike?
1: That's right, and those uh, those records don't go away, right? They follow you no matter where you are for the balance of your professional career. It is listed that there was a claim and that it was paid upon and now you the way can see why somebody yeah. would be upset about that
0: The way the rules work with the data bank, uh, and this is actually a myth that many um that many physicians don't quite uh, appreciate or understand is that it doesn't matter what the size of the payment is made if a third party such as an insurance carrier makes the makes the payment to a plaintiff um, to settle a claim whether it's a dollar or ten million dollars that gets reported as a line item in in the database now interestingly enough if you make the payment that is if the carrier does not make the payment then that is not reportable to the data bank. So in a case like this, when we're talking about the carrier only paying $10,000, you might scratch your head and wonder, would you be better off just making the payment out of your own pocket and not relying upon the professional liability carrier to do so? Because to do so, you are triggering their reporting to the data bank, correct? That that's
1: correct. If they pay any amount of money, they are legally obligated. And by they, I mean your your liability carrier um, is is liable to is responsible for reporting to the data bank. So, you bring up a good point that in certain circumstances, it may be best to use your own funds to keep an event from being uh, reported to the data bank.
0: Now, here's another strategy that we have often used to help with uh, physicians who may be involved. As a peripheral defendant, when five or six people are being sued, when I say peripheral defendant, meaning that uh, that doctor, the medical justice plan member, was not the protagonist. They they were along for the ride, but to the extent there was li- liability or uh, any type of negligence performed, um, that doctor was not the uh, the person responsible for it. So one strategy to to consider is actually to roll over quickly. Now, stay with me on this for a few minutes because rolling over doesn't necessarily sound like such a great thing to do. But if your carrier is going to defend you, for example, to the tune of $50,000 to get to a particular outcome, it is possible to offer maybe $40,000 or even the $50,000 up front to the opposite side, but it needs to come with a release that has these magic words in it, for reimbursement of legal expenses only, for reimbursement of legal expenses only. In that model, no money is going to the plaintiff. Um, now, what's the benefit of that? Meaning that if, if the carrier makes the payment and you have those magic words in the release, um, even if your carrier reports you to the data bank because no money was paid to the plaintiff, that is not reportable to the data bank. So your carrier may still report, but there's a way to petition the data bank to get that line item removed. Now, this will only work if there are many defendants, um, meaning that. Um, the plaintiff attorney will probably take that money, recycle it, and continue to prosecute the case against the other defendants. So if you're the only defendant, that strategy will not work, but if you're one of many defendants and you're a peripheral player and the amount offered in this case, $50,000, is reasonable and makes sense, then that is a strategy worth considering. What do you think of that, Mike?
1: I like it, and what this speaks to is having a defense counsel that is creative right Someone that is um thinking a little bit outside of the box. There are other things called loan receipt agreements whereby you can effectively loan money to the person suing you, uh stay in the case, and then have that money reimbursed um, by a fellow defendant after the case is over. There are lots of kind of interesting, uh, tricky arrangements that can be made, but this requires, I think, two things. one. A defense counsel that you feel comfortable with and is creative. And two, it also speaks to the independence of the physician uh, versus the organization that he or she is is working with. And by that, I mean we've seen a lot of consolidation. So if you are working for a health system, many of these strategies are are off the off the table um, because it really is advancing your interest at the um, disadvantage of a co-defendant and that's hard to do when you're an employee and we're unfortunately seeing more and more in medicine becoming in physicians becoming employed would, would you agree with that
0: yes if you're a w-2 employee for a large healthcare organization they're probably going to call the shots so they're going to decide whether they want to settle whether they want to settle in your name um, whether there's going to be a fight to the end. Um, as a W-2 employee, the benefit you get is certainty over some aspects of your life. You're not taking as much risk. On the other hand, you lose a great deal of autonomy. You're not captain of your own ship. And so that's the trade-off. We, we certainly know many doctors who got tired of dealing with some of the headaches of managing a practice day-to-day, particularly as many of the issues became more complex um, then they jumped into a large healthcare care um, system as a W-2 employee, realized they traded one set of headaches for a new set of headaches. What kind of headaches might they be? Well, you know, before, if they didn't like someone who worked for them, they could discipline them or they could fire them. In this particular case, that person that you want to fire is not your employee, your co-employees. So you have to work your way up the, uh, the chain of command and make your best possible case to the person that everybody reports to. This is a, a new world, but we've also seen people who have who migrated into a um, health care system as a W-2 employee and then did two years and said, I've had it coming back out. So um, I think some things you see uh, cycle through over and over again. And getting back and trying to um to get closure on this, I think the the salient point is that if you settle a case, just do your best to understand what the long term ramifications of this are related to the data bank um, how and also the board of medicine as well as getting privileges, licensing this is it doesn't stop the day the check is signed. Um, this case can linger going forward. doesn't mean that you should never settle a case and write a check. It just means if you're going to do it, do it with your eyes open. And with that, we're at the end of our broadcast. Thanks for joining us. In closing, a few messages. If you're an existing member of medical or dental justice and you find yourself on the receiving end of a medical legal threat, please contact us at 1877 medjust that's one 877 med or 633-5878. Our STAT hotline is a service offered to all current members. It's designed to get your urgent medical legal questions answered ASAP. Members can also access a plethora of exclusive medical legal resources by logging into their members-only page, which can be accessed by our website, medicaljustice.com. Now, we wanna protect as many doctors as possible. If one of your colleagues is in trouble, please refer him. When a current member of medical justice refers a colleague and that colleague becomes a member, you both receive a month of free protection. To refer a colleague, write to us at infonews that's i n Frank o news at medicaljustice dot com. That's infonews at medicaljustice dot com. Now, if you're not an existing member of medical or dental justice, but want to bulletproof your practice from medical legal threats? Our admin, Wendy Cates, is your best resource for information about our protection plans, implementation best practices, and pricing models. Wendy can be reached directly at 336 358 5587. We offer discounts for large groups and protect doctors of all specialties in all states. Now, before we close, one last request. If you enjoyed this episode, please write a review on your preferred podcast provider and share our podcast with your colleagues. Reviews help maintain our podcast visibility, which in turn helps us reach a broader audience. This helps us protect more doctors. Thank you for joining us this week. We hope you'll join us on the next episode of the Medical Liability Minute.